0: Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, we're going to read the first uh, 15 verses, which cover a lot in Mark, if you remember, Mark is uh, fast-paced. I like to think that if I wrote a gospel, it would be much like Mark's. Um, Not a lot of detail, but instead, attention to the, the key components of Jesus' life, and a very fast-paced book. Let's look at uh, the Gospel according to Mark, and starting with 1-1 here. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord." And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We pray now that You would bless this reading of of Your Word and the preaching and also our response to what You have to say to us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were to ask Jesus who's the best preacher? You know, who who is by far in the Bible your go-to man. Jesus would say John the Baptist. Now, it wasn't just because it was his cousin and they were 6 months apart and knew one another. But instead, Jesus tells us that among Prophets among men born of women. John the Baptist is the greatest. This is what, coming straight from Jesus' mouth. Um, you remember here what it says in the text that everyone was going out to see Him. We're talking about Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees. We're talking about sinners, tax collectors... Apparently, people were fascinated with John's preaching. He was quite uh, the charismatic leader, speaker. He held attention. He was dressed not in a way that was typical, uh, but instead lived in the wilderness area outside of Jerusalem. Didn't even live in the city. I mean, it'd be kind of like us here in Madison going to hear some preacher in Mississippi You know, who's in some podunk church out in the middle of nowhere and who's one of these charismatic type preachers. I mean, this is the kind of charisma, this is the kind of attention that John the Baptist was receiving. But besides that, I want to kind of get in line in a flow of what we've been saying for the past three weeks about the Holy Spirit, about our need for the Spirit about how we are made alive in the Spirit and what He comes to do in our life and the kind of approach that we should have toward Him at work in our life. And I want to join with, with really notice in 15 verses here, the Spirit is already mentioned three times. That's significant. And even behind the scenes of these stories, the Spirit is mentioned even elsewhere, such as with... You remember... Uh, really the first time John and Jesus meet is in the womb. And this is such a fascinating meeting to me. We find it in, in Luke. He's a more detailed guy, not like Mark. And what happens is they, you know, Elizabeth and uh, Mary come to meet each other. They're out here, you know, with the baby in in, in the womb. And... We have already been told that the Holy Spirit filled John while he was in the womb. So nobody can really make a case, biblically, that the people that are in the womb, like the person that's in Jessica, gestating right now, um, is not a person. Because only people can be filled with the Holy Spirit, and John was filled in the womb with the Holy Spirit. It's the only case where we get that. Only John. So imagine, here's John, filled with the Spirit, in the womb. Jesus walks in, in Mary. He doesn't walk, I guess Mary walks him in. (laughs) He was being carried by Mary. And they meet, and what it says is that John leapt in the womb. He leaps for joy when he meets the Son. And I have to think it's because John is filled with the Holy Spirit, and here's a meeting of the Holy Spirit and the Son of God. Two persons of the Holy Trinity in one room in two wombs. I mean, what an amazing encounter. Uh, Amazing, amazing uh, episode there in the life of Jesus and of John. So we have John being filled from the beginning. And of course, his charisma, this ability to speak and draw people into what he's saying, is also a gift of the Spirit. We know he was filled with the Spirit and he baptized while pointing to the Holy Spirit. Notice that. Did you see that in the text we just read? He's baptizing for the forgiveness of sins, but he says, You know what? Someone else is coming after me who is going to baptize not only with water, but with the Spirit. Being submerged in the Spirit, sprinkled on with the Spirit, poured out. God pours out His Spirit, which is why those are the three methods that typically go with baptism. We're told in the Old Testament by the prophets that one day God will pour out His Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, the Spirit was sprinkled on them like tongues of fire. Again, we see the importance of the Spirit uh, not only in Jesus' life, but in the One who prepares Him. The One whom Jesus says was the greatest preacher was filled from the womb. The One who He said was of, of born of women, He was the greatest. That's John the Baptist. Filled with the Spirit of God. And of course, Jesus was filled with God's Spirit. The Spirit actually has the name that is given later, the Spirit of Christ. Because they are One. You remember even here at the baptism when Jesus is baptized by John, which John is reluctant at first, I'm not worthy of this, you don't need it. And he says, John, do it anyway. Convinces him and does it. As soon as he does it, the Father speaks in affirmation. This is my son, this is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. And then the Spirit descends on him like a dove. Rest on him is the point. The Spirit rests on Jesus. And then, immediately, the Spirit drives him into the wilderness to be tempted of Satan. And at every point in Jesus' life, He does the miracles by the Spirit. By the Spirit of God. Notice, too, in these first 15 verses, we have two two sermons... One is by John, the other by Jesus. John's sermon is, "Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand." Jesus' sermon is "Repent and believe in the gospel." This is the same sermon. John would have learned I mean, sorry, Jesus would have learned from John. He heard him preach. And Jesus doesn't even start his ministry until John is locked up. Notice that. And of course, John says, guys, I must decrease and He must increase. But John was such a towering figure because he was filled with the Spirit that even the Gospel of John, which is written by John the Beloved, in that first beautiful uh, song, really, in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he breaks into John the Baptist. There was one who came who was not the light, Why did he have to say he wasn't the light? Because he was such a light for Christ. That's why. He was such a light that some mistook him for God himself, the Messiah himself. And John said, no, I'm not that light, but I'm pointing to one who is the light. That's how big John was, the Baptist. That's how huge his influence was because he was filled with the Spirit. We have to ask ourselves, what could we be for Christ If we were filled with God's Spirit, really filled up, not consumed with ourself, but instead with God's very Spirit. So Jesus and John preach the the same message, which is repent and believe. King of God, the Gospel of God, the Good News of God. The King is coming. The King is here. In disguise, so to speak. And yet, it's good news. Just as we've already sung about this morning. And as Rachel has referred to us and pointed out to us, our hope is not in this world or in my body, but instead in His world, His kingdom, and in His body. Our hope is a real person. Our hope is not some kind of idea of hope. Oh yeah, we just have to kind of believe in this thing that we aren't real sure about. No, it's a person. That's where hope is. Hope is in God's Son who has a body. A resurrected body. The only one with a resurrected body. And His body is what saves us. Something physical saves us which is His Physical body. Now put that in your spiritual pipe and smoke on it for a little while. That's pretty profound. It's a person that saves us, not an idea. Repent. Simple, I mean, this is the simplest message you're going to get repent and believe. And yet, you know what? That's what I'm calling this morning the Spirit's sermon. The Holy Spirit, what He comes to do in our life is to help us repent and believe. It's the same thing that the Spirit-filled man, John the Baptist, preached about. And the Spirit-filled man of God, the Son of God, Jesus, preached about, which was repent and believe. So what do we talk about when we talk about repent? What's really what the prophets are telling everybody to do. In so many words. I mean, if you want to sum up what all the prophets are saying in all of the Old Testament, they're saying, repent. Turn away from idols. Turn away from the world. Repentance means detaching from the train of this world. And it is a train. Trust me, when you get on that thing, it is tough to get off. It's tough to detach one's self once you get that much momentum, that much investment built in the world. Now, when I mean the world, I'm using it figuratively in a way. I'm not talking about the physical world itself. The physical world is not bad. You remember everything was was created good. And when God looks at everything, He says, this is very good. And not only that, Paul tells us in the New Testament that there's nothing that's bad in itself. But it says how we use it when we use it. As I've said before, there's no bad key here until you're not in tune with the composer, with the music. There is a music to life. There is a composer. There's an author. There's a maker. And when we play things out of His order, that's what makes it bad. That's what makes it evil, wicked. And so when I mean the world... I mean, when we get attached to the things of this world. I mean, when we make things in this world idolatrous. We set them up as as ultimate. That's what loving the world means in the Bible. We're not to love the world. We're not to be a part of the world. But instead, be in the world and love God. And not of the world. Jesus makes that distinction in John. It's not a confusing distinction if we understand it like what I've just said here, when we make the gifts of the Creator ultimate and not Him, that's sin. Whether it be fear, whether it be something sexual, whether it be our own passions, just as we read uh, in the James reading, our passions draw us away. We want something, so we go take it. That's what what James was saying. We we don't like somebody, so we go kill them. Whether it be physically or in our mind. We are attached, so to speak, to this train that's leading to hell. The broad way. And there's a lot of momentum. You look around, everybody looks to be doing okay. But at the end of the day, they're not doing okay. They're headed toward doom. Doom as Psalm 1 said this morning. The way of the wicked is doomed. There's a bridge out. That train is headed, heading toward where there is no way out. But it seems so comfortable, doesn't it? There's so many people doing it, aren't there? We try to reassure ourselves that we're okay, and we're not. Look, this is not just for any one particular person. This is for everybody in this room. Everybody's been on that train. Now whether you're on it or not now is the question, but everybody in this room has been on that train. We know what it's like. We know the pull that it has, the draw that it has. And what I'm saying is, repentance is saying no. Repentance is detaching yourself from the world Not only that, repentance means turning from the wicked. The wicked people around us. Let me tell you, peer pressure is not dead for adults. Trust me. At work, you feel peer pressure. In the academic setting, there's peer pressure. I want to be accepted. That's one of the most natural things to want is acceptance. And when you buck the system, when you say no, when you get off the train, you're considered weird, awkward. And those are things we don't like. And so it's peer pressure to be quiet about that issue. Not to mention Jesus, He's inflammatory, He causes inflammation. And so we're pressured by the wicked. Not only that, we look out and we say, oh, well, the wicked are doing fine. Why do I have to be so strict and disciplined in my life? It's the age-old thing that I guess you said as you were a child, same thing. I, Dad, everybody has one. I want one. I want to be like that. And he would always respond to me, not everybody has one because you don't. (laughs) That's a simple logic, but um, it was a powerful one. He didn't care if everybody had one. I wasn't going to have one. Uh, And it was a sad day for me, but it taught me a life lesson. Don't wish your life away. Enjoy what you do have. God has given you a lot. I know it because I know you. He's given me a lot. Be content with where you're at. Don't wish your life away. There's this song I heard this morning. It's a country song. Just flipping and I heard it and I like it. It won't be like this for long. I think about my babies. I think about Jessica's pregnancy. You know how fast the seasons change in your life. You already know that. It really won't be like this for long. Honestly. You don't have long like the situation you're in. I mean, we look back in in the three and a half years that Justin and I spent without children. And now look at Jackson who's almost six. I'll wake up one day and look back and I'll be 50, 70 approaching death. Enjoy where you're at. Be content with where. Don't look out the window all your life. See the people around you. You're on a different train. You're headed in a different direction. Don't wish it away with the wicked. Not only that, repentance means breaking through the roadblock of self. Again, with my train analogy, self is a roadblock. It stops us in our tracks. And, you know, we talk about, you know, we kind of joke around about being ADD, everybody, you know, oh, yeah, I'm ADD, you know, I can't ever pay attention. We're spiritually ADD. Lord, I want to serve you. I want to pray this week. I want to worship you. I want to read my Bible. I want to intercede for others, supplicate. Oh yeah, I gotta do this. Oh yeah, I gotta do that. Oh yeah, I need to do this. And I really need to do this. I want to spend my time here. And we just we automatically our our default position is to look at ourself. Our default position is to concern ourselves with self. And what I'm saying is that's the broad way. That's the way that leads to destruction. Repent. Repent and break through self breakthrough self-interest self-concern you know the world will say to us don't give your heart away don't get committed into this don't com- get committed to the church don't don't you're going to get hurt you're going to get a broken heart But you know what? Apparently, having a broken heart is the only way to have a complete heart. Even in God, He's the Lamb that's slain before the foundation of the world. He has a broken heart for us. And He has the most complete heart there is. We're meant to give our life away. Not to hold on to it. Not to preserve it. Not to put ourselves in a bubble, but instead to be poured out for the world. It's what Jesus did. You look at His life, 33 years. I'm two years off of that. Not only that, we don't have hardly anything from up to 30. He was born, see Him at 12 for just a second. And then we see him at 30, and for three years. Look at the impact he had in three years. What if God is still preparing you to have three years of impact for the people around you? Are you going to stop short of that? He's prepared you all this time. Look, God can do amazing things in your life. He's not done with you yet. He's not done with me yet. What if it takes Him 50 years to prepare me and two years to use me? I'm fine with that. Are you committed to that? Are you committed to what He wants to do in your life, in your family, in your children, and the people at work? Let me tell you, He can do more in three years than we can do in a lifetime, in 80 years, when it's done by His Spirit. When we repent and turn to the Spirit. Repentance is saying no to sin and no to our no to God. I mean, (laughs) you can see uh, our human sinful nature in any baby. Bo, stop doing that. No. That's his new word. No. No. He says he's clear and as confident and calm as, as anything. No, first of all, you don't say no to me. you say no, sir. and also, you don't say no when I want something done. You're too little to make your own decision. And you know what? I look at my my people that I'm raising, and I say, "You know what? Wow, there's a reason God calls himself Father, isn't there?" We are so much like children. God says, I want you to do this. I want you to speak a word of kindness to these people. I want you to stop doing it. And we say, no. No. As if we know better. And believe. Repent. And believe. What is belief? Belief is trust. At base, it's trust. You know, it's interesting. We often talk about, yeah, I'm a believer, or I have faith, and these people don't. You know, belief has to do with ideas. But you know what? Ideas come from people, ideas don't come from the ground, ideas don't spring from a tree. We don't go pick ideas off the idea tree. Any morning we pick it off the money tree. Because ideas come from people. And the idea of Christ comes from a person. It points to a person. You see, again, we meet the same thing we meet at every point with Jesus Christ. And that is, this whole thing of Christianity is not just an idea. It's not an idea just to be believed in. But instead it's a person to be responded to. The object of our faith is a person. That's unlike any other faith, by the way. There's a physical person that we respond to who is Jesus Christ. That's why we say in Christianity, it's not about religion, but instead about relationship. Because religion is pointing to relationship. Why do we come to church this morning? To relate to the person of Jesus Christ, not the idea about Him. If you just believe in the idea, you've fallen short of belief, of faith. Because that idea is a real person that's in this room by the Spirit. (laughs) Noah knew that person. Abraham knew that person. Moses knew that person. Joshua, Samuel, David, Isaiah, Jesus, Paul. They all knew the great I Am. You remember what His name... He reveals His name to Moses. What is His name? I Am. Who sent you? I Am. You know, it's interesting. We define... If I say, you know... If I didn't... Like first time I met Jessica. What, what do you like to do? You know, what are you trying to be? Uh, what are your goals in life? you know How old are you? We define ourselves by all types of things. I mean, in order to know me, you have to know my brother. In order to know me, you have to know my wife. In order to know me, you have to know my mom and dad, my grandparents my 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 college, my seminary all those things shape me i can 't say I am, but God, his name is I am. There is nothing that defines him because he defines everything. He is the great I am. And this is exactly why they killed Jesus. They knew he was claiming to be the great I am. It's why all his John statements, his I am statements in John, are so important. I am the bread of life. I am, is what he's claiming. Ego amen. That's the Greek. I am. I, I am. That's literally what it says. You see, we're responding this morning, we're believing in a person. And what it ultimately comes down to is trust. Do you really trust Jesus? You know, we, we, we all doubt. There's no, there's no doubt that we all doubt. How about that? There's no doubt in my mind that every single one of us have, have wondered when we laid our head down tonight, is this, is this Christianity, is this real? Or am I just wasting my time? I mean, I'm a minister of God. A pastor. And yet, some nights I lay down and think to myself, what am I really spending my life for here? Is this really real? But we ask the same questions of those around us. Can we really trust her? Does he really love me? And what I've been sent to tell you this morning by the Holy Spirit is He loves you. He does. He loves you. He likes you. He wants to be with you. And that's the greatest news we can ever hear. A sinner like me, someone who is, seems to always be turning the wrong way, getting on the wrong train, He comes and finds me. He comes to remind me he comes to help turn my focus to Him. He calls us by name, just like I have to do when my kids get crazy. Jackson! Jackson! And finally, oh, yeah, that's right, we're a part of a family. I can't just do what I want, I can't just go hit a kid and push him off the trampoline. Instead, I have a, a father who I'm responsible to. Sometimes we just start going nuts in life and we think, and all of a sudden we hear our name, Marshall, and we get that sinking feeling that's a good thing. Because that's our opportunity to repent and to trust our Father in Heaven. And you know what? That's what the Spirit's message is in our life. It's what He comes to preach to us. All the time He's preaching it. At least to me He is. I don't know about everybody. But I mean, that's that's what He's doing in my life. Marshall, repent. Believe. Turn and follow. Get off the the train and get on mine. Connect yourself connect your little wagon to my starship. Cuz we're going high. We're going far. It's going to be a journey. <laughs> In this life there'll be a lot of troubles. Jesus even says this. But don't be troubled. He's already overcome the world. That's our hope. Hope again is in Christ alone. His person. (laughs) That's real hope, guys. Rodney Dangerfield, you may know him. He says, while you're looking out for number one, which he did a lot in his movies, while you're looking out for number one, you're going to step into a lot of number two. And we all remember what number two is. We, we, We use that kind of terminology around our house sometimes. The reality is, we're gonna we're gonna step in it in this life we're gonna mess up we're gonna we're gonna step the wrong way but you know what you know what the the spirit's gonna come preaching to us repent turn I'll clean I'll clean you up don't worry that's my job just repent confess your sin and turn to me and trust me are you willing to trust him even in dark times You see, for the people in hell, the sun is setting. But for us, the sun is rising. And one day, it'll go full circle. They'll enter into total darkness forever. And we'll enter into glorious light. Are you willing to get on that train? It's the only train headed to real hope. Repent this morning and believe in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen.